This podcast, number 833, with Justin Donald, is brought to you by Corey McComb, author of a new book entitled Productivity is for Robots, How to Reconnect, Get Creative, and Stay Human in the New World. I encourage the readers to connect with the bigger picture of what it means to be human. Humans are not robots, and our minds are reprogrammable. So here is the good news about the bad stories we tell ourselves. There still is time to spend the facts. If you feel caught in the endless cycle of doing more, and it's not making you feel like you're enough, then please read and reread Productivity is for Robots. If you want to learn more about Corey McComb, please visit his website at www.coreymccombmccombmc.com. I hope you enjoy this engaging and thought-provoking interview with author Corey McComb. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Justin Donald about his new book, The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cashflow Investing for Passive Income and Financial Freedom. Happy listening and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from Austin, Texas, is Justin Donald. And Justin was referred to me by a very good friend, Bo Parfait. And many people, uh, Justin, know Bo's book. Uh, He was on the show. We did an event together. Um, And Bo, for people that they know, he wrote the book called Die Trying, One Man's Quest to Conquer the Seven Summits. And I think there's a real correlation here because you know, as people listening to this podcast today, uh, they're trying to grow their portfolio. And sometimes it's like climbing the seven summits, right? It's like, how do, how do we get there, Justin? So Justin, our guest this morning, and you're going to learn more about him because I'm going to ask him some questions that are going to allow you to determine as the audience um, just how Justin got where he is today. And his book is called The Lifestyle Investor, The Ten Commandments of Cash Flow Investing for passive income and financial freedom. And boy, uh, during 2021, we just came through a rocky year. Everybody's wanting to make changes. And this is a perfect time for this. Um, So Justin, let me just start off here. You know, you write a little bit about your history in the book, right up front, you get that out of the way, your book is kind of broken down into four parts, as you talk about. Um, And I wanted you to share some of the defining moments and events in your life that actually got you wanting to participate in what you're calling lifestyle investing. Now, that that term, um, while you're using it, it, it isn't coined by Justin because there's lots of people that use it out there. Passive income isn't coined by Justin, but what he's done is he has created a formula for success in doing this. And so, why did you want to do it? What triggering events occurred that made you want to go here? And let's just start there so, I'm, so that our listeners get a history about you. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. I mean, I just love the name of your show. You know, it's all about personal growth. I think that's so cool. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. Bo's an amazing guy. I'm so glad that we've been able to connect uh, through him and uh, really, for me, you know, I feel like I've had several defining moments, at least from a professional standpoint. So I've been investing for about 22 years now 
in some way, shape or form. And at the beginning, it was very much on the novice level and just kind of using qualified plans and uh, getting acclimated with the stock market and has since, you know, over the years really developed into much more alternative investments and unique structures. And so some of the defining moments for me that, that kind of paved the way for what I'm doing today really stemmed from my love and my passion for investing. Uh, also a love and passion for working with coaching and, and teaching people how to accomplish the things in their life that they desire. And so for a period of my life, I spent time uh, working in a business. For a period of my life, uh, I spent time you know, starting a business, scaling a business. For another period of time, I helped entrepreneurs scale their business uh, and businesses. And, and really what happened in that, I, I had some aha moments you know, one aha moment was realizing that I did not want to be in the business any longer. I would rather be working on the business or investing in other people's businesses and out of the day to day so I could buy my time back. So that would be one defining moment. Uh, another defining moment happened in my own personal finances where um, I really feel like uh, I was misled by you know, we'll call it Wall Street or the financial institutions or, or conventional investing to lead me to believe that I had more money or a better return than I really did based on using average numbers, an average rate of return as opposed to an actual rate of return uh, to the point that I had a positive average rate of return, but I had lost money and I had no clue. Uh, and I just was uneducated at that point in time. And so that was a defining moment to say, hey, I've got to do things differently and do them better. And then, you know, achieving financial freedom was also a huge defining moment because uh, I thought it might be a little more like grandiose than it really was. I mean, it was a fun journey to experience it. But once you get there, it's kind of like, okay, cool, I can celebrate this achievement, but what's next? And for me, what is next has been educating other people to do it and, and really taking, I mean, for me, the, the, the joy and the satisfaction and the excitement and watching other people accomplish financial freedom and, and the impact that that has in their life is just one of the most magical experiences I've ever had. So, you know, each of these steps has had its own uh, impact from personal finances to, you know, being an entrepreneur to working with and coaching entrepreneurs to working with and coaching investors. And my brand, The Lifestyle Investor, is about teaching people how to buy their time back. So instead of being a slave to a job, to a business, to security, uh, to your lifestyle, it's about buying time back, buying autonomy, buying choices and freedom to be able to spend your time as you choose, to be able to dive into your passions, to be able to spend time with the people that you love most and all done through more of a cash flow driven system and structure where passive income is recurring every month. Well, Justin, you do lay it out quite uh, extensively in the book. And I will tell my readers, this is not a hard read. Um, a lot of bullet points, a lot of things that you can grab onto. Uh, even if you didn't read the whole book and just got the gist of what just Justin is talking about. What I'd say about that is go to justindonald.com. I'm going to put a little commercial in here for your website because he has a mastermind group. He's got blogs up there. He's got a podcast. Um, he's got his own podcast show. He's got a lot of things that you can participate in and learn from 
and really with a minimal investment. You know, the investment in the book would be enough just on its own, but there's a lot of people that want to go further. They want to get uh, people to kind of be their Sherpa. We were talking about going up the mountain, you know, as Bo did. Um, you need to find somebody to be your Sherpa. Justin's the guy. Um, and I can tell with the intensity and the way that he was referred to me by Bo, which I have a lot of respect for, uh, that Justin has a very good system. Nothing is bulletproof. You know, we'll put our disclaimer here. Um, things can happen. Economies can go sideways. But the bottom line is, if you're looking for a structure and a way to get that passive income that's coming in, you're going to want to go to Justin and do that. So that being said, Justin, you mentioned one of the reasons that you wanted to become a lifestyle investor is that you wanted your time back. You just said that a minute ago. And I think for so many people, whether it's, you know, even myself, you know, I'm sitting here and I have a lot of money in the stock market. But every morning I wake up early and then I get on it and I look at it and it takes time. But if you don't want to take that time, that's my question here, because you do kind of have to take an active role when you invest and there's fluctuations based in the economy. Tell us if we weren't going to take that active role, how you would help people just say, well, here's the cash machine off of the laundromat down the street that needs very little whatever, and the money just keeps coming in. The $3,000 a month the laundromat makes us just keeps coming in. Most people don't have that. How do you help them get that? Yeah, that's a great question, Greg. And and I think most people probably don't even realize that it's as available as it is. Um, most people really are trained by you know the way that Wall Street has commanded the education in our country to invest in a way that they get access to money to be able to invest it as they want. And so most people invest in the stock market, they invest through qualified plans. And then those that have deviated from that path, uh, you know, maybe they're investing in like, you know, startups and, you know, those are higher risk type of vehicles. But when I come across investors, that's generally it. They either have all their eggs in one basket of the stock market which is a, you know, it's worked for a period of time. It's still a pretty big gamble to have all your assets in any single basket or the extreme opposite, which is like, you know, hopefully one of a hundred companies makes it on a seed round investment where you're like, you know, investing in a startup that has, that's not proven yet. And so, you know, you're like, ah, I hope this works. And so both to me, uh, I don't think that they're wrong in themselves. I just think that there's a time and a place for every type of investment and to be careful of that overexposure to any single asset class. But uh, I have to ask this because, you know, this is a bag of worms, but, you know, institutional investors today for the first time now are doing Bitcoin and you're seeing this rage around Bitcoin, 31,000, whatever it is. You know, I personally am not in it yet, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't go in it. But you're going to have people listening to the show that are going to want to know, what is Justin's opinion about Bitcoin? Because right now, yesterday, um, one of the investment company groups said it's going to go to $143,000 a coin. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying I'm an idiot about Bitcoin, but it for the most part, many people are. So where do you land on this in the spectrum? I didn't want to I didn't want to open up this bag of worms, but I thought, hey, this is not a bad topic to talk about today. <laughs> sure. This is a fun topic. And you know, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin in general. I'm a big fan of its utility. I'm a fan of 
you know, anything that there's scarcity uh, in because generally those type of, of vehicles will appreciate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, someone shared with me many years ago that uh, whether it works or it doesn't work, doesn't it make sense to find something that um, a lot of people believe in the philosophy of it and even put a small portion of your portfolio? Maybe it's only half a percent or one percent into it. Uh, and, and, you know, if it doesn't work out, it's not like you push too many chips in, but if it does work out, you're going to be pretty thankful that you did. So, yeah. you know, that to me, it's, it's like, okay, the way people feel about gold, I, you know, I think gold should be a play uh, as part of your portfolio, right? And, and that could be another small play. Some people have it as a bigger play. I think that Bitcoin is like the digital gold. Now, some people argue, you know, can you replace gold with it? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. The future will tell, but uh, I don't think it hurts to have both, you know? <laughs> I think what you're talking about here is diversification. And again, it comes down to looking at diversification. But again, we're going to get into this in a minute. But it's really, how do I start to do this so that I replace the income from work with the income from the investment, right? Because we have so many hours in the day to work. Most people are working that are listening to this show. They're doing something to earn income. And that excess they're putting into the market, they're sticking it into uh, real estate investment trusts, they're putting whatever, wherever they're putting it. So my next question is, you mentioned you've broken down into many different parts, but part one of the book really is about um, the laws of lifestyle investing. And in this, you talk about Murphy's law. And it's not more, it's not just Murphy's law of lifestyle investment. It's really kind of, you know, you have a checklist that you state that we should not ignore what some of these items are on this list. Why why are they so important? And what are some of the Murphy's laws? Yeah. So Murphy's laws, I mean, the whole concept behind Murphy's law, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I think it's good to to realize that because as an investor, you're going to make some bad moves. Uh, Part of the way that you learn is by going through the pain of losing money so that you don't experience that again. So there's no one that gets through investing, you know, that, that, you know, has a perfect clean record and they are 100 percent winners. You know, that just doesn't happen. But if you can make, you know, more educated investments where, number one, you've got more information, you've done some diligence yourself, you've run it by other people. And number two, uh-huh. and protect it with collateral, I think you're going to be in, in really good shape. And so, you know, when I think about Murphy's Laws, and I think about, you know, I started the, you know, my, my first story, my first example is the time that I lost big, right? Yeah. I, I actually want to outline for everyone, like, you're going to lose. And I lost and I learned some valuable lessons. And some of the valuable lessons are that I had advisors in my circle that recommended against this. And I was too caught up in the fact that um, I saw what it could be, the returns that I could have, how nice that would be if I had them. I had history of other people getting those returns. And so to me, that was enough and I ignored the warning signs that my legal counsel offered me. And because of that, I, you know, it ended up not working out well for me. Well, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, my, what my, the point of that little saying is, you know, I've had Bo tell me things that I haven't listened to that maybe I should have listened to. Right. Um, and I guess it really comes down to the trust you have in the advisor. You're actually putting yourself out there as a mastermind class, as an opportunity for people to learn, kind of help and advise people to get there. That's what you do. If my listeners want to 
partake of that, go to justindonald.com. Check it out. Check out the podcast. Check out the mastermind thing. Check out what he's offering as far as coaching. But the important element is um, you mentioned that there are three different stages of financial independence. And what are they and why are they so important? So the stages are important because they're kind of like milestones and you're gaining momentum. So the first stage really is like covering all your basic expenses so that at a bare minimum, if anything happened to you, you are unable to work or you just chose not to work. You know, you, you wanted to be done with whatever the, the thing is that you're doing, that you have that freedom, that flexibility and that opportunity. And so when I say bare minimum expenses, it's like rent or mortgage, utilities, food, all the main stuff to survive, not your current lifestyle, not your vacations. It's just what it costs you to live at a bare minimum and on a monthly basis so that you can see how it cash flows. And then from there, you would move next to lifestyle income. So what does it cost you to live on a monthly basis? What is your lifestyle, including trips, you know, your, your travel, your entertainment, um, whatever other luxuries you have? And then what is the lifestyle that you desire to have? You know, what would be kind of like the, the goal or dream lifestyle? And what would that cost? So to me, those are kind of like your three benchmarks or three foundations. And quite frankly, once you cover lifestyle expenses, that to me, so, you know, your first level of, of covering expenses in general, bare minimum, there is a lot of, um, th- there's an internal weight that's lifted, but there is this experience of pure jubilation and, um, it, it's like, a you, you just feel this, uh, this, this, unbelievable experience of you don't have to do what you've been doing. You have choices, you have your time, your, your expenses, your lifestyle is covered. You know, it's like a a, a liberating feeling that it's hard to put into words. And at that moment you can make the decision, do I want to upgrade my life or do I want to take the excess cash flow and invest it into other income producing assets? Um, You know, and, and you had asked me before what some of those were, we actually never even got into them, but you know, some of the stuff that I like to do, Greg, is, I mean, I love real estate because you've got value built in, intrinsic value in an asset and an asset that's real, uh, that's not going to go to zero. And I like debt opportunities because those are, are true passive vehicles. You can collateralize the loan with three or four or five times the value of the actual loan itself. So right. if anything goes wrong, you're in even better shape, you know, and uh, but usually stuff doesn't go wrong if you secure it the right way. Uh, and and then you just have cash flow and that involves no work. So some passive vehicles are going to involve some work and some are not. And your return is probably going to be based on that to some degree. So what would you we- what would you say to the people today? Because I know we both know uh, Don Werner um, and it's class B. Uh, apartment units, right? And not to get into the specifics, but these are kind of, let's say that I hate to say it, but the average person who's renting an apartment and now and today with COVID, you know, you have a lot of people out there who might say, well, geez, why would I want to go into that? I don't know if these landlords are going to be getting their rents, uh, how much of these rents are going to be deferred, where's it going? Um, and I've seen a little bit of a deviation, right? Uh, to say, okay, but long term, um, you were talking about averages earlier. The averages in those have been ten to twelve percent cash in, cash, cash over cash, month to month 
kind of returns. Um, what do you feel about those given the light of the situation today, or do you just kind of weather it through the storm? Well, nothing is a given, but in times of uncertainty, housing generally is one of the things that people will find a way to to pay for if they can. So I think that you probably run greater risks with class A than you do class B or workforce housing. I personally like workforce housing, but it's not all created the same. You know, if you buy it for too much, then that may not cash flow the way that you need to if occupancy drops or if your lending that you use, maybe you get a a bridge loan to hold you over till you can get long-term financing, but maybe you're having a hard time getting it uh, or something happens and and they call your loan. So there's risk in it uh, in in terms of the way that you structure the the financing on it. There's also risk depending on the market that you want to be in. And the desire and the demand in that market for that product. But as a general rule, I invest in a lot of class B workforce housing. Uh, and as long as you do it at a good price where it cash flows, even in the worst case scenarios, I think that that's a good investment because you're always going to have people filter down. So when times get tough, people from class A are going to move to class B. Uh, and so class B might move to class C, but the lower you get on that affordable housing spectrum, I really think the stronger you are from a recession proof standpoint. And because of that, I've invested in all types of different housing. I, I mean, uh, I've invested in, in every form uh, out there. So to me, this is a great avenue to not only get cash flow on a monthly basis, but also have an asset that appreciates that is generally pretty easy to keep occupied. And another thing, Greg, to point out is right now we're at a time, I read an article here recently that 40% of the US dollars uh, that exist were created within the last eight months. And so mm-hmm. if you think about that and you think about uh, you know, our, the, the supply uh, of, of dollars, let's call it um, monetary supply, as that expands, if you're just saving money, you're losing money because the purchasing power of the dollar decreases. Right. But if you're investing in assets, your asset is going to expand when uh, monetary supply expands. They, you know, they, they move in tandem. So that's a way that you can hedge against the devaluation of the dollar, keep your money working for you, and still have active cash flow. So I'm a big fan of that structure, but I'm a big fan of a lot of structures. Well, you know, I like investing in operating you're, companies you're, too. You like to do that. That's what you do, and that's what you help uh, all the people that come to you to coach do. Um, so if you were to comment on the MMT, what would what would you say? Um, I mean, at this point, you know, we're in what seems to be some pretty dicey times. We have a new president coming aboard. Um, We've got uh, relationships with China. And the thing is, this is a world economy anymore. It's not just the U.S. and it's not just the houses down the street um, that we're talking about. Um, Foreign investing, comment on that. Comment on the MMT, if you would. Um, we've already talked about Bitcoin. That's good. We know you're favorable there. And then if you would talk with us about the four core principles that guide every investment that you make. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think that at a certain point in time, when you print too much money, uh, you're going to run into a problem. So far, we've been able to prop it up with printing more money. And as long as we're the reserve currency, you can do that. But at some point in time, a price will have to be paid. And right now, uh, we're weighing as a nation or as a government, what is the lesser of the two evils to make sure that we don't have as many businesses fail and people uh, that don't have an income 
uh, or the devaluation of the dollar. And so the lesser of the two evils, obviously, is to print money. And so has that helped a lot of people? Has that saved our economy on many levels? Sure. There will be a reckoning at some point in time. I don't know when it is. I mean, this could be five years off, 10 years off. It could be next year. No one really knows. But at a certain point in time, when you print money like this, the, you know, there's, there's going to be a rebalancing that's going to happen. And so that's just a consideration to have. I like housing because, uh, and especially affordable housing, because there's always a demand. It doesn't matter what's going on, uh, in, in the world. Like people need a place to live. So, uh, that is one place that I feel really comfortable investing my money. You know, I think uh, we hear, we hear, Justin, that, that the Chinese economy is booming again. You know, you hear this, um, you, all these listeners that are listening to this podcast, the thousands of them are going to be looking to you and saying, hey, you know, um, because this podcast is not just U.S. based. Uh, we have people from all over the world that are listening to this show. What about international investing? What is your take on that? And if they happen to be in a region like Poland or Germany or people that I have from Africa or wherever it might be that listen to the show, what would this same philosophy apply if they, if they picked up your book and got a PDF copy, wherever they are, does the same stuff apply in their country? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, the the basic principles of this book are going to apply anywhere because they're, they're really timeless. I mean, these are things that have spanned the test of time for my 22 years of investing, but um, you know, when you look at international investing, I think that it's a great idea and it's a great option and it's good to not keep all your investments under, you know, inside of your, you know, borders, your, your four, you know, walls of uh, a nation. And so you've got to be careful where you invest. You know, there are some governments that are more corrupt than others. And uh, you, you really need to know how foreigners and foreign investors are, are treated. I'm part of an investment group that invests predominantly internationally. And in fact, the, 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 there's like a small percentage of our investments that have actually been inside the U.S., which is where I reside. Uh, and so I have exposure in many different continents, many different countries. And I think that's great. There are tons of emerging markets. There's tons of uh, competition. There are, there are companies that are booming here in the U.S. and in other countries that haven't even caught on in adjacent countries. And so it's, it's good to recognize that. Uh, you know, there, there's a, you know, a, a company that is basically, uh, taking off in, that's kind of like the Amazon of Eastern Europe. And, uh, and it's expanding pretty quickly. And I think that that's going to be a huge company. And that's one that we're really excited about. Uh, and, and there are a number of other companies as well. So I think getting outside your borders is a great move. It's just important to recognize, um, who you're investing with and what type of controls are in place. And, uh, you know, are the terms strong terms? Is the government a strong government? You know, is this a place that you may want to uh, spend time in as well? There are advantages to that. When it comes down to it, uh, Justin, it's about doing your due diligence, um, listening to advisors, uh, getting as much information as you can and taking the calculated risk on whatever it is that you're going to put your money into. And it's all a calculated risk, no matter if it's foreign or U.S. Um, and the key is is to uh, hedge more about how much due diligence you've done. I mean, we all know Tesla has gone crazy. We look at Alibaba. We look at all of these stocks that have done really well. But it's about looking at trends. I think you have to see what's coming around the corner. 
And I think what you're good at doing is you're good at actually looking at both sides. What has stability, Warren Buffett? What's coming around the corner? What's high tech, high innovative, you know, new batteries, uh, 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 power cars, trucks that are autonomous, all of this kind of stuff is all things we have an opportunity. And that's the thing today. We, any, no matter how much money you have, anybody can get in into it today in fractional shares if they want to go to the stock market and buy into it. But I want to get into your 10 commandments. I really want you to list those 10 commandments, if you would. Take a couple of them, if you would, Justin, and let's let's talk about them. But this book revolves around kind of these 10 commandments, right? So what are those 10 commandments? And what are the, if you were to call out two of those, let's say, due to the time we have on the show here, what two do you think maybe have some priority? Sure. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about, so I could make an argument for any of them being, you know, having priority, but based on the fact that you just covered uh, paying attention to emerging trends, I want to point out that commandment three, I call finding invisible deals. And there are a lot of different types of invisible deals. I mean, this could be an off-market deal and it's invisible because no one knows about it. So there's less competition or no competition. It could be an invisible deal because there was really nothing to be had and you went and pitched uh, you know, a seller or a company or someone to sell when they weren't planning on it and then you buy it and it's done. Uh, you know, so no one would ever know about it, but it could be invisible because it's uh, a special or or um, let, let's call it an exclusive opportunity that you would have to be part of a certain group uh, or that you would have to have been an investor before or you paid attention to the emerging markets and the trends and you recognize something that was going to happen. And, you know, I've been uh, handsomely rewarded for a couple of trends that I was able to be on the cutting edge of. Uh, during those those seasons, so that is for sure you know a favorite of mine. Um, you know another one that to me is let's call this one very non obvious because most people don't even know um, that you can do this that this is you know a thing uh, or that you could even consider doing it. Um, but it's to get your principal investment back quickly. So that's my fourth commandment. And the idea there is you invest in something. Uh, and, and the investment itself needs to be sound. But how do you structure the deal to get that money back out as quickly as you can to repurpose it? So for example, let's say I invested in, I gave some real estate examples earlier. So let me do a different one. Let's say I invest, you know, real estate would be super easy because you can invest in something, you can refinance your money out, you still have equity, but you got your money back and you can put it into another play. Okay, super easy. Now let's talk about like an operating company. Let's say there's a business that you want to invest in. Uh, well, most people just invest straight into equity. Let me, you know, invest $50,000 and $50,000 at X valuation gives me Y equity. That's generally what people know. And, and that's it. it. It starts and stops there. What I like to do is create structures where I can invest and receive an accelerated distribution schedule. So let's say I invest $50,000 in a way that really helps prop the company up. And, and you know, it might be more, uh, it might be less, but what if I can structure that to get my re- that initial investment paid back within a year, but I still have equity or I still have a piece of a revenue share and I'm able to get my money back out of the deal to de-risk the deal. I can reinvest it so I can compound my return with the same money 
but now I have access to some sort of upside with no skin in the game anymore, right? With, with, with zero risk. So to me, that's the type of structure that I like. So you can do it in any type of real estate. You know, most real estate works where you can figure out a way if it's a cash flowing asset for sure. But, you know, anytime you can buy something under value and then you, you know, refinance it, you can pull that extra cash out. So it works the same way where you have equity in a company or you have some upside, but you've got all your money out. So it's, it's totally house money at this point. And that's how I like to structure deals. Well, you said repurpose it. And I think that yeah. the most important statement that I heard was like, you're trying to get back the original cash investment and repurpose it. And repurposing it to me means taking it out and putting it back in another investment someplace, because you do want to keep the bulk of your capital invested most of the time. And that leads me to this, you know, you call it the common myth about investing, Um And the common myths is that people's mindsets are really around their 401k plan or their IRA, okay, Um, which leads them to the same old mindset that, okay, I'm going to put the money in a mutual fund or Fidelity or whoever it is, or I'm going to invest the stocks my same in the stock market. They do not deviate much. They're not buying debt investments like Bo. They're not going out and buying bad credit card debt and reselling it. Um, you know, these kind of moves and strategies, which many investors are making a lot of money on, but um, can have a, a degree of risk. Um, so what would you tell people out there that are sitting here listening to this show? They've put uh, most of their life savings into this tax deferred qualified plan, whether it's defined benefit, defined contribution, 401k, it doesn't matter what it is. What are are you going to tell them? Well, I think that that is kind of the what people consider conventional investment investing, conventional investment wisdom, right. or conventional and you know basically this is the way that most people invest. And you lose utility when you have your money tied up in something. You lose control. Could you pull it out? Sure, but as a creature of emotion, are you going to pull it out at the right time? Probably not. Uh, so I don't believe that you should have no exposure to the stock market. To me, I just believe you should have your expenses covered at a minimum, ideally your lifestyle before you are exposing too much of your net worth to something that really ebbs and flows on an economy you have no control over that can spike or drop like at a moment's notice just because of an election or just because a, a company, you know, had, a, you know, someone said something funny on Twitter, right. you know, so like that to me is really suspect. And, you know, what I want to do, and by the way, so here's what people can do. You can self-direct these. There's a lot of ways that you can take ownership back into your own hands and you have a qualified plan, an IRA, right. something, and you can self-direct it to invest it in other vehicles than the stock market. Uh, and and really, you've got to be careful here because a lot of the, the, there are a ton of fees that most people don't know about in 401ks. 401ks are the highest feed product, uh, you know, and, and so you're talking three or 4% most of the time in fees, you know, mutual funds, two to 3%, sometimes more. I mean, this doesn't sound like a lot. It's it's a, it's a fortune added up over time and the drag on it. So you could be investing in um, index funds for the cheapest amount, the lowest feed uh, type of resource to give you exposure to the stock market. And 95% of the time, the S&P 500 beats actively managed funds. 
So literally the, the stats from the S&P 500 versus actively managed funds for 2019, because 2020 numbers aren't out, but the 2019 numbers that came out uh, showed that only 5% of active managers, active fund managers, um, actually beat the S&P 500, which mm-hmm. means 95% of people didn't and you paid them a fee not to. Right. So that fee compounds year in and year out. If And I'm not here to douse uh, water on Fidelity or anybody else or Vanguard or all those kind of people. Some people want to pay money to have someone else manage their money. Um, they don't want to spend that time. And that kind of leads me to our finale question here for you to kind of wrap this all up. If you were going to give people recommendations, and I know everybody's in a different situation, so these have to be general recommendations because we're not all sitting with our money in the market or in real estate or in an oil and gas deal or whatever it might be. What kind of lifestyle investing recommendations would you make? And I want to call them North Star Indicators. You know, what direction would you tell somebody generally right now is listening? Kind of check this. First, go check this. Check that. Maybe do this. Do two or three things and see if that doesn't change your mind about how maybe you're doing something today. And I think those are actionable. That's something my my listeners can take away. And it would be very cool to hear it from you. Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, this is not financial advice, but, you know, I love sharing things I'm doing and things that I've learned. You know, I, I think it'd be smart to check how your financial advisor is doing compared to the index, S&P 500 index. How did they perform? And is that a fee that you want to pay? Or is would you rather have exposure uh, to the index that likely outperforms them? Uh, I would also, and by the way, there are a lot of great advisors out there and, and you know, you just want to know what you have. Right. Um, and, and so this is not a, you know, <laughs> me against advisors. You right. know, I, I think there are a lot of great people out there. I think that the industry is is pretty corrupt. I think that it's, there's misalignment everywhere. And so because of that, it's going to have a trickle down negative impact. Uh, and unfortunately, the ultimate loser in that game is the uh, client or investor. Mm-hmm. But I would I would look to see how much exposure do you want to this do you want in the stock market you know do you want all your eggs in that basket for me I don't uh, I believe in the U.S. economy but I don't believe there's a lot of hope involved right like I hope that when I retire we're in a good economy and if we're not and my you know net worth and and total savings is cut in half there's not enough time to be able to make that back. So, you know, to me, those, those are the concerns that I look at. I like having some exposure though, like I said, but that exposure, I want to be long-term. That, that's not to be a day trader. The algorithms are going to win every time. So don't try and win on day trading because <laughs> you're going to lose. Um, and then I really like real estate as a foundation in any portfolio because uh, it's not going to go to zero. You know, you, if you mess up and you buy something that, you know, doesn't end up working out and you don't do a good job on your due diligence, there's still value in it. So maybe you lose some money, but you don't lose all your money. You know, stock right. can go to zero. You right. can lose all your money in the stock market, right? right? You can lose all your money picking stocks. You can lose half your money overnight in, in a split second uh, and not even know it. And that's, you know, that's out of your control. The due diligence that you would do on real estate is in your control. And you can actually hire companies to do it for you if you don't know how to do it. 
So, you know, that to me is a great way. And on top of it, you can use leverage. So instead of paying 100% cash for something, you could put 20% down and use bank money, use, you know, other lending options. And so you get the result of owning something that you only put 20% down for. So other people paid for it. You get the result of owning it. You get the appreciation for owning it. You get the cash flow for owning all of it as if you put all the money in yourself. So the other thing you said earlier was debt investing. And I want to cover that a little bit. Um, What, what do you recommend? Is there a fund out there? Um, I know you're not supposed to make recommendations, but um, are there funds with pools of debt that the typical investor can buy into? So in other words, you know, what is it that you're doing? Because obviously there's a monthly return on them. There's, they're backed by somebody who gave collateral and guarantee. Um, so you, there is uh, some risk, obviously, because people can default. But what are what do you do? Yeah, I love debt funds. Um, I especially love senior debt um, or or senior credit funds. You might see them listed as uh, uh-huh. same difference. And really, the senior position just means you're first in line. Should anything go wrong, to get paid back. So right. that is the position I want to be in. I don't want to be in junior debt where someone else gets paid before me. So I love being in a position. So I look at a deal this way. If I'm going to do, you know, some sort of, let's say I'm doing a hard money loan where I am the lender and I'm structuring uh, an asset for collateral on that loan and it's with right. me, I want to set that investment up where the second best scenario is that they honor the agreement and they pay me, you know, good interest rate. But the best scenario is that they default and I get the property or I get mm-hmm. other assets that are pledged that are worth three or more, four times the value of the, the loan amount. Okay. Right. So that was, is how I would do it on a personal level. So then when I go to the fund level, I like funds because they mitigate risk. So right. if someone does default, but you've got one person that does, but 99 other people that pay as they're supposed to, then the fund performs really well and you get a good return. So I like to, to kind of pool that risk. But then on top of it, if it's still structured as senior debt, like what I just gave in the hard money loan example, if anything goes wrong, you actually get a better return. So that's what I look for. I look for that alignment of everything is set up. There, there's um, Everything is pointing in the direction of satisfying the loan and honoring the terms. So my goal is to never have a loan default, but I want there to be some sort of pressure that if it did, I'm going to be in a better situation and it should be uh, magnified enough that they would never want to lose $500,000 to a $10 million asset. Right, right. right? So that you, you would have an opportunity for a multiple of return if it's sold or you in a group of investors or whatever it might be. That's well, right. I can say, Justin, it's been really educational. I think all of my listeners this morning learned something Uh, And the takeaway, go get the book, The Lifestyle Investor. You can get that up on Amazon. We're going to put a link uh, to The Lifestyle Investor. Please go to his website, justindonald.com. Very easy, J-U-S-T-I-N-D-O-N-A-L-D.com. And check out just what Justin's doing, you know, as uh, as a coach, as a financial coach, as somebody who 
um, can help you and guide you. I mean, you might only need the book, but the reality is you probably need more than the book. So uh, reach out to Justin if you would. Justin, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth, um, because all of this has to do in the end with how we're willing to change our beliefs, our patterns, and our attitudes about what it is. And these kind of shows where we get to exemplify uh, this and actually speak about something that we're saying, okay, it's your investing. It's probably one of the closest thing to most people. You really have to, you know, you really have to think about it. You have to change your mindset and moving from the traditional to maybe what Justin's talk about a little bit more of the non-traditional that he that he advocates requires you doing your due diligence and speaking with somebody like Justin. So Justin, thanks so much. You have a finger up. Yeah. Can I just say one other thing? I, I really think it's important that people know that um, the, the this book is a passion project for me. You'll learn that really my daughter was the source of my inspiration in writing this, that I could gather all this information and put it down just in case anything should ever happen to me. Uh, and it really has gone viral already, uh, which is is exciting because technically we're, you know, days before the launch. But um, I want everyone to know that all the proceeds of this book are going to charity. And I think that's important because you're a huge proponent of charity. You do a lot of charity work. You donate a lot of, of time and resources. And I think it's important for people to know, number one, I, I'd like to educate you on financial freedom if you haven't achieved that or to the level that you want to achieve it. But what I also want to do is I want the the proceeds to go to buying back human foundational life freedoms because we have a lot of human trafficking in this world and these are mainly with kids and their freedoms are stripped away and so I want the proceeds to buy those freedoms back for people so um, there are a couple I mean you could of course go to Amazon and and get it there uh, but you could also go to um, justindonald.com forward slash free book where you pay the shipping and and uh uh, and, and you get the book for free. So it depends what your, your outcome is, you know, how much do you want to go to charity, but all the proceeds either way are going to go more go, you know, one way or than the other, but there are also, you know, bonuses. Well, you, won't, you won't pay the 15% Amazon fee. How's that? If you, get, <laughs> if you buy it from Justin at, at his website and we'll put a link to that as well, Justin. So that's good. I'm glad you brought that up. I appreciate that very much because my listeners know that um, in 14 years, I haven't taken a dime and that all this money is given away to people that have a need uh, to actually uh, get out of poverty. Um, So I really appreciate that. And your book, by the way, would be one that I would want to hand to many of the people that I actually make grants to. Um, So awesome. And we'll talk about that offline. Uh, Justin, thanks for uh, hanging in there. Thanks for a great interview. Really enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with you. Uh, Blessings to you and your family and to what you're doing uh, with the human trafficking situation. I totally 100% um, um, am a supporter of what it is you're doing and how you're doing it. Thanks so much. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun, Greg. I appreciate your time. Take care.